1: who makes you uncomfortable, every one of those faces reveal God. We have to remember our past and recount the things that God has done for us, and then that gives us faith to keep going to where he wants us to be. Hi guys, welcome back to the Anton's Podcast. I am Blaine, and I am recording this introduction by myself because you are going to get all the Sam you can handle here in a minute. Wow! What an incredible time to be a friend of Jesus. If you follow this podcast, you know that several months ago we affirmed our commitment to ignore or at least operate outside of current events, focusing on the major issues of the human heart that uh, supersede any current illustration. Of foundational human problems. And you have seen us come to eat those words and repent and ask what we should do as the friends of Jesus in this hour. So we are rerunning an interview from 2018. And the reason we are rerunning it is because the gospel transcends every identity. And it is the only story that accounts for every complex dimension of every narrative. A couple reminders for our friends right now. That if we accept the gospel of the heart, we realize that the human heart is the core of the issue. We know that all injustice and violence pours out of the fallen human heart in every expression. We know that there is a demonic enemy who stokes human rebellion. And we know that in Jesus, we have power over Satan and his kingdom. We have a transformed heart, and we offer the restoration of all things in real time to the world. We know that the restoration available in Jesus wraps up and transcends all human movements. So this conversation is one Sam had with a mentor of his years ago. It is a very approachable on-ramp into the issues surrounding race, trauma, and masculinity because here at Ansons, we always look for orientation and we look for trustworthy sages to give our hearts direction in real time. I think you'll find this conversation helpful right now, especially as you engage it in view of your position as a disciple of Jesus in the kingdom of God participating in the restoration of the heart and the overthrow of evil alongside Jesus, your brother, and with God as your father to resource you in real time.
0: Welcome back to the Ensons podcast. You may notice very quickly that Blaine is not here this week. He is out and I am in. And while you may miss the sound of his voice, uh, we've got something pretty great for you today. And I'll be honest, I am a little trepidatious about it. I dropped a line to a, a friend and mentor of mine, Wendell Moss, who is a counselor out in Seattle. And I asked him to come on our podcast and talk about trauma and masculinity and race. Yeah, that's right, that's where we're going. I don't know, just the light stuff. You can feel, you need to rotate your neck around pop some joints. This is a really good conversation that I've been excited to have, and um, I think it's going to be well worth a listen. So thanks for stopping by today, and uh, without further ado, it's really good to see your face. You too, buddy. Wendell, normally I kind of give an outline, and then we we actually edit that out of the podcast, but okay. there's part of me that wants to leave some of this in for the sake of our listeners. Okay. Okay. I wanna begin with this quote that I wrote down on my phone that a, a mutual friend and teacher, Dan Allender, once said, that hearing someone else's story should be entered with the kind of holiness that takes your shoes off. Mm-hmm. As we dive into this today, I, I wanna to say that at any point we can edit anything out if you feel like there's a question or a story, if you find yourself going down a, a particular way that you don't wanna be. Um, that's great. And we'll honor that and we'll, we'll back up. And I want our listeners to know that we're doing that um, because that's something that I like, I prefer to model for them. And so, yeah, today we're going to talk about trauma and masculinity and race and your story. And you're basically going to just bear yourself for us as we humbly <laughs> ask questions. <laughs> so honored that you would say yes to an invitation like that. So honored.
2: Yeah. So But I'm when I when I'm aware when I, all three it's kinda like Woo Right. <laughs> I mean
0: this room is already hot, but it, I'm I'm feeling it a little bit even more than usual. it's, it's like Yeah. It's good.
2: But it's all right though. It's got good. folks praying and first both and so hey.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a conversation that I've wanted to have because there's just there's a lot of questions and there's a lot in each person's story that has so much value, and so I wanna I wanna start there. I've I've given an introduction for our listeners that you um, are a practicing counselor and therapist out in Seattle, um, but before we begin with that, we need to back up and ask the questions of what in your story drew you to think about other people's stories and, and see other people's stories and think about other people's trauma. What was it in your own life? that? Because there's so many ways that people go into that field and yet you're you're willing to dive into heart surgery multiple times a day.
2: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that, that drew me is realizing that I spent so much of my own life hitting my own story. Um, I spent so much of my life where shame was normal for me, and I always walked around feeling kind of fraudulent, always feeling like that feeling of, if you only knew me, you would say this or that. I was in ministry, I had a lot of friends, a lot of good relationships, I had a lot of people that trusted in me, and, and yet there was always that, if you knew my story, you would be really disappointed, or you would just want to end the friendship all together. I mean, dealing with addictions, Uh, my story just even around abuse. And and, and so I think when I finally, first of all, was invited to step in in, and have the courage to engage my story, it was the first time I realized that just maybe possibly I was bearable. And to have people sit with me and let me share what I felt made me unlovable, and still have them sit there and look me in the face and not get up and walk away like kind of my own heart and head figured they would do. And and so to have people sit in the midst of my story and be surprised by, by their grace, it was like, well, you know what? Maybe possibly, just possibly maybe God loves me too. And I think that just enabled me to begin to actually not hate but actually realized that my story was worth grieving over and I, and I think when i got to that point and began to just have a sense of man my story is actually redeemable in the midst of my own redemption just having the privilege of actually now beginning to hear even in ministry hearing other people's stories and realize that i got a chance to now sit in, sit in someone's face and looked them in the eye and let them know that, that that they're bearable as well. So it was really out of my pain and process that I begin if like I can even have the courage to enter into someone else's story. Yeah. So yeah, does that makes sense. Yeah, it totally
0: does. Do you remember what it was that put you in the chair to receive that the first time? Like what in your own life? And that's a pretty brave jump yeah. for so many people.
2: Yeah. To be quite honest with you, Sam, I literally remember the day where there was almost this feeling that I was at the end of my rope. I remember walking around. I couldn't pray. I thought God hated me. And I just the fear was so was so deep in me until I just there was just a feeling of desperation. I don't know another word to use until literally I I just made a move and called a guy who I knew and said, I don't care. This hurts so bad. I don't know what I'll do if I don't. Yeah. And so he invited me to come and sit with him. And we met for an hour and a half. And during that hour and a half, it was kind of surface talk. And then finally, with the last half hour, I said, here's what I really want to talk to you about. And he goes, he goes, Wendell, I was actually waiting for you to actually come and talk about what you really came here to talk about. And I was kind of like, oh, my God. <laughs> and and that, that, that half hour was okay, here I go, I don't know what's gonna happen. And I begin to tell him
0: Mm.
2: out of pure desperation and let my desperation be known. And it was a lot of swallowing of pride, huge, to let him know that I was that desperate. And at the end of that conversation, for him to be the first one to go, Wendell, thank you, would love to sit with you.
0: Mm.
2: And I would love to engage in your story. But desperation, Sam, is kind of that, I don't know of another word.
0: Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Um, Something that we've experienced in our own lives is the, for Susie and I particularly, is the unwillingness to name certain things as traumatic, which kind of feels like this. On the one hand, I I loved what you were naming of, if you only knew, like it's just, I feel like that's, a symptom that every human being has. And yet at uh, the same kind of opposite side of that coin, there's this reluctance to name it as damage to, to like minimize and move past it. Um, I, I know this personally, but I also kind of, I want to hear from your story as you were given permission to name some of that as actual trauma. What
2: mm-hmm. were, what did you
0: become aware of in your own story?
2: I remember the, the first man, um, his name was Kent and I, Remember telling him uh, just about my relationship that I had with a childhood uh, a friend, and how he invited me to do things risk really sexual, inappropriate, and I always named it as oh it was just curious and he was my age and so um, we were he, he didn't know any better and to have can't for the first time say you know that's called abuse mm-hmm. right. And, and to hear that word, I i mean, it was literally like almost like, how dare you? Like, how dare you say that about my friend and let alone how dare you say that about me? And as a man to have the word abuse attached, I'm like, wait the hell a minute. I don't think I like that word. And So that first time around, I just flat out denied it for years. And it wasn't until I got to grad school and, and had told the same story. And had Dan named the same thing, mm. and 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 Sam for a while. I just didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, to and to had to to have to put the name abuse and trauma. I didn't know what to do with it, but eventually, it helped me to feel less crazy. Yeah, for somebody to finally put what I felt made me so unlovable, right? Mm. So it was something about those two words that that actually brought comfort. Yeah. Um, And it made me feel like I had been dirty all my life, Mm. but actually something had happened to me.
0: Mm. We're a fairly honest crowd here, and yet it does feel somehow tied in with your masculinity to have suffered abuse, that you're like, no, 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 that was something else. Surely not me. Like I am strong enough impervious enough, we don't experience that that's mm-hmm. just that's untrue,
2: yeah, well, I mean just that just that since if you attach abuse to my name, then how come you weren't able to defend yourself mm-hmm. if you were abused, let alone by another by another male my father asked me when my father discovered it my father asked me why did I let him do that to me
0: yeah. Wow.
2: So I even heard that from my own father. Right. At that point, I mean, your masculinity is kind of on the table <laughs> to have such thing named.
0: What else? I, I want to ask this question of what masculinity was modeled like for you. Um, and you just touched on potentially one of the best examples of it. Um, yeah. But where else did you experience that?
2: Masculinity for me was... Was was kind of being strong. My my dad was he was there, but my dad was strong and and I grew up in a culture And this includes, you know, just even growing up in an African-American neighborhood. I, I grew up among men where it was about Survival and and, and if you will never let him see sweat
0: mm.
2: Never let him see hurt. I mean, I think I saw my dad literally probably cry. I'm serious Probably I can count on one hand the time I'm seeing my father weep and that's to this day and, and so I grew up like boys don't cry. I got into a fight as a kid one time with a kid older than me. who's stronger. He beat me and I wept. And one of my friends, older friends screamed, stop crying. And Sam, I remember that moment. I, my tears dried up. I jumped and I learned right thing in my brain, that boys don't cry. Mm-hmm. And so growing up it's to be a man playing sports, you, you don't show pain. You, you you don't cry. Let alone show you that that you have any kind of tenderness. And, and that's was something that that I didn't know a lot of in my family. At least wasn't shown. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. It feels almost difficult to draw the line between experience of masculinity and an experience even within an African American neighborhood. Like that that might just be a cultural yeah thing. We're held up regardless. Um, yeah. And yeah, I remember. I remember you naming this once in a session that we were in. That now in your practice, you find typically men won't go there. Even like as far as de- demographic, what you see people coming in.
2: Yeah, I, I think first of all, I think most men, especially that that word, you know, trauma and abuse. Most men that I see, that's just most men. That's not that's not part of the vocabulary. Yeah, they're just not able to name it, and they definitely haven't had it named for them. So most of the men that come in, a lot of times even feel like they have to prove something to me, Mm. like they can make it. And so they even come into my office feeling shame that they even have to come in and want help. And 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 we are talking more specifically demographics, like I, you know, I won't speak for, you know, everyone, but I know, you know, some of the African-American men I see where counseling is even taboo. Mm. like often in the black community if you need counseling then something's really something's really wrong with you mm. because if it's not your pastor or a close family member that's family business you don't tell so even more when it comes to the African American community it's just like this is crazy but again I see that's often like over oh, a lot of the men that come in because right. it's so much shame having come. come right. because um, are you going to expose me and will you seen as less of a man because I need help
0: I I just I Let love alone much, if you
2: name oh, abuse.
0: Right. Like how unwilling Man. we are to let go. You're literally coming into a counselor's office. And like how tightly we are still holding on to, I've got it together. I don't even really need you. I'm just here for like a tune up because yes, something's not like an oil change. What's your, what's your basic yes, oil change plan? Uh-huh. I hope people can see the irony at least a little ways down the field when they're we're, we're willing to let go of that.
2: Yeah, and I and Sam, I, when I see it, most of the time I almost expect it, mm. and so I think it's one of the first things early on. I kind of want to make space and and let them know that I see that that dynamic. Yeah, and can this be a safe space for them to not now? I don't. I don't expect them to trust me right away, but can this be a space for you? And maybe a space that you probably have never let yourself have mm-hmm. as a man.
0: Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. are some because ways? You didn't, no, yeah? sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. I was, I was going to ask, um, what are some ways that you have learned to invite men into thinking about masculinity differently? Masculine strength, um, yeah. reframing that for yeah. some guys.
2: I think one of the things I, I, I love messing with the word courage, with the men that I see even just these drawing examples of you know where they've had to display courage like Mm -hmm. and and most guys you know talk about work or or even sports or something like that and and then help them to begin to think about you know now what kind of courage do you think it will take you to enter into your own story enter into your own heartache and perhaps that may invite you to a whole different kind of a whole different courage Mm -hmm. and there are some times you know, I think with men, that's a part of myself. Often, I don't mind disclo- disclosing for some of the men when I sense they need it. Like, I, I don't mind saying to them, yeah. There's been a lot of things in my life that I've had to show courage, but engaging my story, inviting me to a courage that I never knew. Mm. So that word courage is kind of where I, where I often start. Yeah. yeah Does that it's make really, sense? It's
0: really good. It is. It, it takes such courage to jump in
2: to those oh, waters. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. And it's it's always just a good... I think courage is always... It feels like a good platform to start with. Yeah. For a lot of the men.
0: Are there things that you see um, on an individual level and then patterns that you see in communities that you would feel like you're able to name about the culture right now that there's specifically about masculinity and then I think about race as we move towards that? You've been in counseling for... Several years, decade, Mm
2: -hmm. more? Yeah, probably a little around a decade, yeah.
0: Okay. I'm the kind of person that looks wants to see patterns that even if they're not there, but are there things that you see that feel like endemic?
2: When I think about masculinity, what patterns do I see? Mm -hmm. Um, And you said amongst different demographics.
0: Demographics work uh, mostly to like individuals to communities to things that you might a, be able to infer about other communities without necessarily needing to interact with each person.
2: I, I think one of the patterns, and I think this is kind of a, a broader pattern that I, all that I often see is, and, and Sam, you, 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 know, this, 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 that, that, familiar pattern that I will look you up and down to kind of see what you got. I will, I will try to gauge you. And, and just kind of even comparatively, you know, we'll kind of, kind of, size each other up. See read you, Try to you. read you. <laughs> yeah. And, and then some would just kind of see without language, see who I am in comparison to you. Mm. And I even see that in my office. Like I see male clients literally do that with me in my own office.
0: And this applies to more than just physically, right? It's not just, can I beat this guy in an arm wrestling match? It's where, yeah. where, are, you, where are you able to go? How are you able to carry yourself?
2: Like I had one particular guy in one of my recovery weeks, literally, literally tests me for two days. And in the afternoon he goes, honestly, I was waiting to see if I could really be tender with you and you wouldn't hurt me if I tried. Mm. And I give that example just even as a pattern of what I see really, really often. Mm. And when I think about different demographics, Specifically, when I think about African American men, and when I think about Latino men, and again, I I don't want to you know, make too much of a generalization, but just common patterns that you are talking about two two communities where there is of uh, I will test you, I will test you, and I and I will not let you see a crack in my armor. And when I think about the African American community, we're talking about that's that's been history. You know, that's a part of history where um, African-Americans just have had to, you know, just even go back to things like slavery, like you had to know how to bear and make it and not show that you have cracked. Hmm. Um, I, I saw a movie a um, long time ago, it's called Rosewood, and there's a scene in the movie where they're running, and it was about the Rosewood Wars of 1940s in Florida, and they're they're trying to escape the slave owner, and the older guy has to go off and help. He recruits this little boy, and this little boy, he, he gets on his knees, and the little boy's crying, he goes, ain't no time for tears. You got to lead these boys. You got to lead these, these, these women out of here. Dry your eyes. Mm. And that was one of those scenes when I saw it, I went, I know that, I know that even in my own community, I know that in many communities a men, period, that, um, that's not just African American, that's just like one of those profound scenes that I've seen in my community, but I've seen it done in different ways, or just among men. That's the biggest pattern, and I think that's just a good example Yeah. of Dry eyes, Son.
0: Mm. The echoes of that story, and your the story you told of the fight and your friend to you, like those, those words are oh. eerily similar exactly and, and to
2: even have a friend who is probably what three years older than me said that to me mm-hmm. and i think i'm somewhere around six wow. at that point yeah so a nine-year-old had learned it betterly right and when i played football starting fourth grade i knew about it already by yeah. fourth grade mm. so yeah um so does that answer kind of the pattern? Because yeah. that, that pattern just feels so pervasive.
0: Yeah, I mean, that feels like there's there's a ton there. Some things that as we shift, I'm guided by two questions, like a posture and a question. And the posture is as we dive into race, which just feels like it's getting more and more prevalent and charged on at least on the television screen from what mm-hmm. the average person is experiencing. We definitely do not know day to day. And yet we, we're kind of in this time of intense public brutality and shootings. <laughs> and so it, it, it's a category that feels like if jumping into a counselor's office to talk about my own issues is intimidating, this conversation of, I don't know, please help me learn, is somewhere in the same neighborhood. I want to start, though, with two cultural things that yeah. happened this year, which might probably surprise you as to like, what examples I'm going to throw out there, but I think they're indicative and I'm to hear your thoughts about them. So, yeah. um, the two things are that happened in 2018. I'm glad you mentioned a movie earlier. So I'm not the first one. The movie black Panther came out oh, and yes. that's like, okay, great. We all love superheroes. And now we finally have the black superhero, except that it is the, 10th best selling movie internationally, and it is the third best selling film in North America of all time. Right. This isn't just a summer blockbuster. They don't, they don't do that. Normal films like that. superhero films don't do that. No. Wendell, help me out here. There is some there is something to this film that is that is echoing and, and resonating and draw and saying yeah. something to
2: I mean, same when I when I saw the movie, it, it wasn't just about a, if you will, a, a black hero, like it, it wasn't just about that, but there was something about this place, not mm-hmm. just Black Panther himself, but just this, bush, just Wakanda. Mm-hmm. There was just this place where where it just exuded strength these folks exuded a strength. they exuded a, a a resilience and they exuded this story and i think inspiring is not enough mm. it's just not enough as i watched the first time i was just glued to the screen watching the strong black women like wow who showed the love and the way that they were willing to fight mm. and it wouldn't they were willing to fight for their space and, and then the character of Black Panther himself, I mean, just this man of incredible integrity, incredible strength, but also a man who displayed mercy and grace. And, and so just these characters that felt so different from often how Black films and, and Blacks have been portrayed. Mm. And, and and so it just brought a renewal, Sam, uh, that was just powerful. And, and, and so... To know that some of us, black folks saw, saw the movie six and seven times. Like, I want to see it again and again and again. I mean, wow. I want to relive it over and over and over and over and over. Hmm. The movie was was just so multifaceted, which is also what was alluring. Because you have this African-American man who is the hero, if you will.
0: He's built, a villain, but he is, is
2: also. R- is, he's not wrong. Yeah. And yet, even Eric Killmonger is making a huge statement, even in his character. He's making a huge statement. so so Sam, my gosh, the movie was just loaded, man. I don't get me started.
0: No, I love it. I, because we're <laughs> other stories help us so much and are like to learn from our own and see what longings are evoked and what we resonate with. And I went and saw it is phenomenal. like we've we've literally we've been talking about it. Almost nonstop, but just like it, it, clearly is more than just a well-told film or a film that finally portrays black men and women in a powerful light. Like there is something of, of longing, and is there something of truth? Like does it feel like there was an accurate portrayal of of situations and of longings that? as a white man, I'm unaware of.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it, and the movie also showed the brokenness in the black community as well. Mm-hmm. You, you look at it again, you have to look at a Killmonger who was often just kind of seen as a villain. And, and what I I remember a friend of mine asked me, you know, a white brother asked me, he goes, when who do you mostly affiliate with? And I said, you know, honestly, Eric Killmonger. And he went, what? He goes, not T'Challa. And I went, uh, of course. But the T'Challa is not. No. Eric Kimmung. And he goes, that is the. Why would you feel affiliated with the least complex character? And I just went silent and went, what? Because mm. he he's just the villain. And I went, oh, you missed him. You missed him. Huge. Because how do you hold a man who clearly made his dream known? Like I want to see the oppressed not oppressed anymore.
0: He makes the same argument as thank you as T'Challa's love interest, whose n- character name I'm forgetting now. That we should be helping. Like the, the
2: yes, I mean, it's like, are you, are you kidding? He has one of the most and powerful lines
0: of the movie. He has the most powerful death line of a quote-unquote villain of any character.
2: He's the man, he's the one who holds the ambivalence and a trauma for everybody. Mm. Because this man from Oakland who was abandoned, left, raised in the military to train to kill and out of his own harm, end up harming. But Eric Killmonger was that man where I so resonated with his ambivalence. Mm. Where I feel, where I feel, where I can feel my own frustration, where I can feel my own anger, where I can feel my own longing. Um, Even for him to call out to Chala and go, Uh we need you. Hmm. We need you in here in Oakland. And so, man, and so the message he had to Chala, because in the end, Eric Kilmonger was right. Right. Because in the end of the movie, they ended up sharing just like Eric Kilmonger invited them to.
0: Right, he changes the course of Wakanda. He does. Yeah. I think that was, this is an aside, this isn't totally, but I. the thing that I like most about T'Challa was that he's the first hero that's been a king, and he definitely, he carries himself yes, in kingliness. Yes, sir. Like, he has a his friend, who is the border guard, comes to him and accuses him of an offense, like, you let this guy go, it's just more of the same, and he doesn't defend himself. Like nope. he is the first, like Tony Stark would defend himself and be snarky, would shoot back. He stands <laughs> well, there and as like a king knows it's his role to take it.
2: Yes. Yes. I
0: was like, if it, yeah. I mean, he's, he's admirable, but there are a few people that I've seen able to handle accusation like that.
2: Well, Sam, what I hear you kind of name is uh, a king with integrity.
0: Yeah.
2: King enough to confront his own father. Right. The previous king and say you were wrong, right? I mean, uh, so I again, T'Challa, yeah, he he displayed a kingship. Damn, yeah, that made me proud. Mm. Mm. As an African American man, yeah, it made me heck of proud, man. Yeah,
0: so good. We could talk about this for the rest of the time. <sighs> <because it's... laughs> the other thing that happened that can't that this year, culturally, many things happened. But I chose two was that the National Memorial for Peace and Justice opened. Yes. Um, and for the listeners that don't know what this is, this is a memorial to the victims of lynching in the South of America, the, so- the Southern states to predominantly. Um, Montgomery. But, yeah, it's, it's in Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And I have not been, I have seen photos. It is reminiscent of the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin. Um, Mm -hmm. It is powerful, stark, and the first of its kind. It certainly isn't the period on a sentence, but it is a sentence in the story that is unfolding. And I'm curious what that opening this year, uh, before you respond, I I do want to, Mr. Stevenson is a part of the team. Brian Stevenson. Yep, part of the the team that opened it. He has this quote, Mm -hmm. an article for New York Times that reads, I'm not interested in talking about America's history because I want to punish America. I want to liberate America.
2: Yes. So we'd love we'd love to
0: hear some of your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, that's that, that statement. And I've had the privilege of meeting Brian of meeting Brian Stevenson mm. um, last year and have conversations. I'll see him again next year. And, and what I uh, know, Brian, in that statement. Just and I don't want to punish America, but I want to liberate America and I and I know Brian those words I want to invite you to tell the truth about history mm. Can you can you finally speak about what our history truly holds? Can we name it because to not name? the history where that book so that 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 History books leave so much out and, and, and Brian's desire. And, and I so much feel the same deeply. Like, I don't, I'm not bringing up history to heap with shame and guilt. No, I believe scripture, when scripture says the truth shall set so make you free. Mm. And I believe that is exactly the motive of, can we tell the truth about our history so we can have, finally have honest conversations. And I think that museum Is can we now face the visuals? Can we now face the faces? Can we now see some of the dirt Hmm. that we hold? And when we can finally have these conversations freely, then we can really get somewhere. Wendell, what do you
0: think the, the threat is? If we don't have these conversations, like what happens when we don't face it?
1: Yeah,
2: um, my, my, my fear, Sam, is that if we can't have the honest conversations, then I think you're going to have and, and I even I even feel it in me where there's just almost a sense of hopelessness. Like, OK, if, 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 if we can't have honest conversations, then I don't know how to move forward. Mm. Then I don't know how you just won't continue to fuel the, the fury. The, the anger and, and therefore the injustice and therefore be able to actually address is, issues around systemic issues around racism if we can't be honest and I just think hopelessness will increase, anger will increase and, and that is going to affect, that affects the church the church is not exempt and I think for the church there's just a sense that okay, we'll just keep playing church mm. in like the Bible doesn't address justice
0: Yeah, Is there a sense that some of the events that have been happening over the last several years are symptoms of a society that is refusing to talk about it.
2: You know, even when I think about a Charlottesville, what happened in Charlottesville, even a lot, even a lot of the protests, even when it comes to, I mean, the Lord forbid, even the, even the issues around the, the NFL, what things like the things like Charlottesville, those things did nothing but take the the, the it off. These are these are things that have been that are part of our history that have been it's been like a dam waiting to burst. Mm. And and so a lot of these things aren't doing anything but finally bringing it out to to the fore. These issues are not new, but we've worked really hard to, if you will, move on. Right. Not realizing that uh, I'm sorry, this is a traumatized country. Mm. And, and, And Sam, you know, this trauma doesn't go away like that individually let alone collectively right and so sam racism has 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 so collectively traumatized us and and to think that it's just going to go away by not having these honest conversations we're fooling ourselves our country and the church we are fooling ourselves and that doesn't feel biblical yeah
0: (laughs) i've seen on Unfortunately, several occasions, the attempt at using current ignorance as a, an excuse. Um, mm-hmm. And the same person would never in a million years think that if they were pulled over for speeding, that their ignorance mm-hmm. of the speed limit was somehow like let them off the hook. But yeah. it, for some reason, when it comes to racism and atrocities committed, there's this, this feeling of like, oh, well, I didn't know. And that's used as you're kind of like, can get out of jail, get out of this conversation? That's really awkward for me free card. Um, mm-hmm. What are, yeah. what are some postures that even like simple things that we can do?
2: Uh, Sam, you asked a great, great, great question. Cause I think the the misperception is like, like you talk about the ignorance. Like I, I believe people, many people are ignorant about it. Got it. Un- understood. That that's, uh, However, when you do discover it and you know this word, then will you just be curious now that you, now that you hear, will you be will you be curious about the stories that and these that these that these that people of color are talking about r- rather than just kind of dismissing because that's that's the most painful
0: mm.
2: when it feels dismissive and and honestly, the misperception is that you have to understand everything. No way. If you tell me you understood, Sam, if you told me, Wendell, I understand everything that you go through as an African male, I will look at you and go and call you a liar to your face. I would say, Sam, you're lying. But I would also said, Sam, that's not required.
0: Mm.
2: I don't expect you to know. Mm. But for you to be able to just say, Wendell, talk to me. Mm. I don't know. And yeah. even that posture right there alone, I, I think we're off and running. Yeah. And is, is it going to be a messy process? Potentially, of course. But nonetheless, we're off and running. Mm. If you just just to be curious,
0: mm. that is really gracious and hopeful. Because I I know personally that feeling of, man, I, I should know at least a few things to begin a conversation with to point to, like, hey, I'm not. I'm not ignorant. I am not complicit. I feel like I have to have some, some cards to pull out of my pocket. And certainly these days with justice and social justice being a trendy thing, people get really good at, at pulling out those cards yeah. on many different occasions. But I, I'm already thinking back to the thing that you hold out to men that come in for their own stories and that, that word was courage. And so to have yeah. curiosity and the courage to sit and, and ask and say, hey, I don't know. Would you tell me? Yeah. Would you, would you help me understand? Would you help me?
2: Yeah, well, in and, and, uh, and the story, I, I tell a story a lot because I, it's just it's just one that sticks in my blood. And I think when I went into campus ministry, I used to work within a varsity Christian fellowship. And, and when I, when I went to an area where I was the first African-American staff in history, which was scary as heck. But my supervisor, he sat me down in our very first meeting, and he looked at me, and I was kind of, I see the look in his face. I'm going, oh, what's he going to say? What's going on? And he says to me, yeah, he goes, "Wendell, I'll be quite honest with you. I'm scared. I don't know how to supervise you. I, I really don't know what I'm doing." And and I looked at him, and I stepped back. You know, I fear what my, I fear what on my spine. But at the same time, I went and I said to him, "Okay." Thank you for not assuming that you know all about me. And honestly, I respect you highly for what you just said. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. I help you all along the way. But, but again, it was that posture. What am in it, it, and look, he was a supervisor. He had been on staff for many years. So for him to have to let go, and he supervised many, many, many people, and I'm sure his pride could have easily said to him, "I got to. I have to be competent." right but to put your competence on the line and say i don't know what i'm doing i'll be honest with you sam it meant all the difference to me mm. i still love him to this day
0: yeah i think about how powerful a sentiment like that or a statement that you and your reply how powerful that would be for a community of thank you for not assuming i will help you along the Gosh. way i will like that that is so hopeful.
2: Sam, I think that has been the, the long game. I, I, I think people demonize protesters. And I go, "Oh, well, wait a minute. Before you scream, are you listening? Uh, Malcolm Jenkins in a place for the Eagles in one of his press conferences, he kept holding up this sign whenever they asked him a question. And he goes, you aren't listening. You aren't listening. You aren't listening. You aren't listening. And they were getting frustrated and asking him more questions. And he kept going, you aren't listening. And I'm like, they're getting so frustrated that they're not reading the sign. Mm. He's saying, will you just listen? Mm. Um, and so back to that good. statement, I want to liberate us. Uh, not shame us, not guilt us. I want to liberate us.
0: Yeah. And the us being every human being. In that you
2: sentence. better believe it. Yeah. Because I know Brian Stevenson, that is clearly his heart.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good, Wendell. I want to be honoring of your time. Um, oh,
2: no problem at all. Uh,
1: Thank
0: you for for folks listening that are curious, want to know more. Um, there, there's so many opportunities and ways you could send them. But what's what's? either something that you'd kind of charge them to think about, or someplace you'd send them to to begin asking questions or to begin learning mm-hmm. more.
2: You know, when I th- want to think about race, I, th- I think they're just. So there's just so many good resources out there of oh, phenomenal books. Um, I, recently, I mean, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson is a phenomenal book. Mm. Um, a book called Wide Awake by a guy named Daniel Hale. Phenomenal. Mm. University um, Press. Room Rap to Reconciliation by a woman, Brenda Salter McNeil. Phenomenal book. Those are just three, just a start. I think when it comes to trauma, I mean, of course, my boss, you know, Dan, does great work. And, and even, you know, your dad, masculinity, it, I almost feel like I more than recommend a book. I, I think what I often like to recommend for men is one, I mean, just that question, what is your masculinity based on? But I feel like God turned me upside down, upside down and, and almost said, you need to redefine what masculinity is. Because where you're, how you're currently holding it, it's killing you. Mm. And it's stopping you from hating your own story. It's stopping you from entering into your own your own story, mm. and it's making you hate your story. So that's all I would say about masculinity.
0: Yeah, it's powerful. Thank you, Wendell.
2: It's You're been, welcome. It's
0: been a joy talking with you and getting to just peel back a little bit of the layers and into this yeah. these yeah. very deep topics.
2: Yeah. Sam and and, and, th- and thanks and thanks and thanks for inviting me. It felt like a privilege and um and honestly, when I saw those three topics, I I, I thought, what in the world are San Sons into? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my no. gosh, where have those guys wound up? I'm like, What? You wanna talk about what? But then I thought, wait a minute, this is Sam Eldridge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my man, my man does not mind treading tough ground.
0: <laughs> it's true. That's <laughs> true.
2: Why else? So, we, so, what else do we talk I, about I, I than things
0: honor. that matter, Wendell?
2: <laughs> so, well. Sam, I, I honestly thank you. I'm, I'm yeah. honored, my friend. I'm mm. honored. Thank so. you.